This is episode 260 of Alohomora for December 8th, 2018. Welcome back, listeners, to another topic episode of Alohomora. My name is Katie Carty Hiley. I'm Kat Miller. And I'm Beth Warsaw. And we have today here with us the wonderful Taylor Smith. Hello, Taylor. Hello, everybody. Hello, sir. So Taylor does wonderful, wonderful social media work for us on Alohomora. We so appreciate you, Taylor. <laughs> well, I love doing it. Would you like to tell the listeners some about yourself? Sure. So um, my name is Taylor. I've uh, been with MuggleNet for two years in April, I think. I've, uh, I'm 28, living in Houston, and I'm a Ravenclaw through and through. Uh, my Patronus, yes, I love it. My Patronus is a raven, actually. Um, what? Let's see, my wand uh, is ebony wood with unicorn hair um, as the core. It is uh, 10 and three-quarter inches with hard flexibility. And uh, to round it all out, I am a Thunderbird in Ilvermorny. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Ravenclaw, Raven, and Thunderbird. Heck yeah, that's the best combo. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here. Luna is my favorite character out of the entire series, so I am very pumped to talk about her tonight. And how long have you been a fan of Harry Potter in general? Oh, um, so sometime in the fall, maybe, of 1998. Uh, I guess I got into Harry Potter um, because of uh, Mrs. Sestock's fourth grade class. She bought the book and then she would read it to us like 30 minutes a day um, at the end of the school day. Um, and then I just, you know, wasn't having that. So I had my mom buy me um, Sorcerer's <laughs> Stone and then we would read it together every night. Um, and then it just, I got really, really hooked and uh, kind of, you know, as they say, grew up with Harry and um, I guess the rest is history. I I also got into Harry Potter by having a teacher read it to me, and I also uh, got very impatient with it being read aloud to me and then went off on my own and read it. <laughs> yeah, it was about chapter three where my patience kind of ran thin. <laughs> <laughs> well, shout out to all the teachers out there that are getting kids into Potter. That's awesome. Love it. Um, Taylor already kind of dropped the bomb, but guys, we are talking about Luna today, and we want to thank our amazing listeners, uh, Sophia Silva and Jennifer Rapp, who is also a transcriber for this podcast, for suggesting this in the first place. I don't want to say that we would have eventually gotten to Luna anyway, but we would have eventually gotten to Luna anyway. <laughs> but but thank you, ladies, for pushing her up the list significantly further. I'm super jazzed to talk about uh, this quirky and fun Ravenclaw. And the, we're recording this episode a few weeks before it goes out, um, but we are recording this as Ivana Lynch is going into the finals for Dancing with the Stars. So we're thinking about you, Ivana, and talking about Luna in your honor, no matter what happens. <laughs> yes, Felix Felicis coming your way. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Brian Stisher over on Patreon. Thank you so much, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Woo! 
You can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash alohomora. You can become a sponsor for as little as $1 a month, and we'll continue to release exclusive tidbits for our sponsors there. So before we get into our discussion about Luna today, we first need to give out some shout-out maximas. From our episode 258 on Curse Child, our mega episode. <laughs> and we don't blame any of you for skipping it, just FYI. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure Griffer and Prefect was like, nah, I can't. <laughs> what was it? Like, too long, didn't listen. <laughs> yeah, but there were a couple of you who said that you appreciated the long episode, so thank you for humoring us. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. <laughs> But we do have a few specific shout outs from that episode comments that we wanted to um, give a shout out for. I totally was redundant there. Sorry about that. But the first one is for traveling in a blue box, for going in depth about the time turner effect for those who were interested in how it works. And thank you, Oreo, for putting a little kind of spoiler warning at the top of your comment so that those of us like me who don't want to be spoiled on how the magic works could just skip over that one. But Even though you did it and you read it anyway. <laughs> no, I skipped it. I, I swear. I read like the first sentence and I was just like, no, no, I'm not going to read it. I was, I was tempted. I was, but um, shame on you for not keeping the secrets though, Oreo. I'm kidding. I love you. Well, well, I love it because I love talking about how stuff works and it makes the magic even more magical for me. So cool. I thought that was a super cool comment. So go ahead and, uh, over to our main site and read Traveling in a Blue Box's comment to to see more about how the time turner effect works. Indeed. So we have another shout out Maxima here for Davy B. Jones 999. Um, and they shared some awesome opinions from their mom, who is a casual Harry Potter fan. I believe they went to see the play together. And she really liked it, and ha- but also had some criticism. She thought it was too long, um, and that like the last half hour could have just been cut. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. And she also had some problems with the marketing, which it sounds like is a theme. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. So, thank you, David B. Jones nine 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 for sharing those thoughts from a different perspective. That's really cool to hear. It really is. We don't get to hear that a lot. When we are so entrenched in the fandom, um, we're just kind of divorced from the casual fan who isn't so invested in these things like we are. So it is great to hear those outside perspectives and realize that they don't hate it. For the most part, I think a lot of casual fans just are like, okay, that was fun. And go on with their lives. And the rest of us sit here for months. <laughs> like, what did I just watch? <laughs> and talking about it for four hours. Yes. <laughs> uh, then we also have a shout out, Maxima, for how am I going to translate this for their thoughts on Cursed Child being marketed as the eighth story and Joe's continued involvement in the Wizarding World content. And also there was some really great content in that comment relating to different authors and their control over their works. So there were some great um, comparisons made between J.K. Rowling and um, other creators and the control that they've either kept or lost, um, either while they were still alive and working on their whatever project their their world um, or after they've passed away and other people have taken control of their content and started doing different things with it that they that the original 
author did not necessarily want done. So that was just an eye-opening thing for, for me. And even though none of us are ever going to know for sure how much J.K. Rowling herself put into Cursed Child, at least we know she put a little bit into it and had a little bit of control in it. So I think that at least helps us know that it's not just someone, you know, coming up with the craziest thing they could possibly come up with and just throwing it on a stage um, without her consent. So at least we have a little bit of comfort in that knowledge. But it was just a great comment overall. Yeah. And I feel like I hear a lot of people saying that Joe should just let go of Harry Potter completely and that she should just let other people you know, do Harry Potter stuff now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also see comments of people saying that, um, that Joe should be involved in Harry Potter because it belongs to her. And, you know, they, you know, I've seen a lot of those kinds of things. Uh, but how am I going to translate this? Brought in a new angle of what it means to have an author have control over their world. And, um, that was really interesting to see. So, yes, thank you very much. So, I'd also like to give a shout out Maxima to Follow the Butterflies for their first ever comment. They've been listening for a long time but never commented. So, welcome Follow the Butterflies. Welcome. We love your username. Yeah, your username is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and uh additional shout out Maximas to everybody else who participated in the conversation. Grifferin Prefect, Emily, Lisa, They've taken my wheezy, Diskid, Puff the Magic Raven, and End the Statute of Secrecy. And also, End the Statue of Secrecy has commented before, but not in a long time. So welcome back. <laughs> Yay! Always glad to see our longtime commenters return. But yes, thank all of you so much for adding to the conversation. We love to hear what you have to say, so please continue. Yeah, the conversation is always continuing over on the main site, so head on over there to give your comments. Um, Those were obviously all really great comments. Um, I have not listened to that episode yet. Honestly, I am a bit um, cursed child out and trying to take a bit of a break from it and sort of forget that it was ever a thing. Uh, Minus Jamie Parker, (laughs) who you all know that I love. But um, really awesome comments, as always, guys. You guys are absolutely the best. We love you. Truth. Well, should we hop into our discussion today about yes, the definitely. fantastic Miss Luna Lovegood? Woo-woo. Let's start, uh, as we typically do with these character episodes, let's start just talking about some basic info about Luna. So she was born February 13th, 1981. She is a Ravenclaw. Her parents are Xenophilius and Pandora Lovegood. Uh, her mother, Pandora, died when she was nine, uh, when Luna was nine, not when Pandora was nine. <laughs> Um, Luna's Patronus is a hare, and uh, her name at etymology, uh, Luna means moon in Italian, Latin, Romanian, and Spanish. Luna was also the Roman goddess of the moon. In Romanian, it also translates to month. The word lunatic is also derived from the word lunar, since it was believed in old times that strange or odd behavior was caused by the moon. Luna is a term for silver in alchemy. So... That's all extremely interesting information. I love name etymology. Mm. Katie, I know you love it too. Oh, yeah. Right up my alley. <laughs> I, I like how it says that in old times it was believed that the moon caused strange things. Um, hello, I still believe that. So yeah, A lot of people do. 
Uh, how could, I mean, how could it not? It, you know, the tides do that. The moon does that. I mean, they're, it, it's all together. Yeah. We're all just beings on this earth. They're controlling us. <laughs> I sound like Luna now, really, don't I? <laughs> I'm just going to embody her for the episode. I love it. At least one so. of us needs to. So you, and you've got the blonde hair, so you're perfect for it. I do. You have blonde. You have blonde hair. Well, <laughs> under my pink. <laughs> I was going to say, what color is it now? Thank you. So I think um, one of the most defining characteristics of Luna is that she is unafraid to defy social uh, societal norms. And something that's really interesting to me is that we have a lot of examples of characters in Potter feeling pressure to conform to societal norms. We we see it with. Um, Hermione is trying to blend into the wizarding world as much as possible. Um, you know, Harry is trying not to feel different. Um, you know, Ron is trying to, you know, not have anybody notice that he doesn't have money and, um, and blend in that way. And he uses humor to make people like him. And, um, but Luna really doesn't do any of those things. She is so just herself. And I love that about her. What do you guys think? I agree. She's, um, she's herself and she's like unapologetically herself. And um, as I was rereading some of the, the chapters with her character and I am um, over the weekend, I kind of picked up on the fact that at some of the scenes, JK Rowling doesn't even announce that she's come into the room. Uh, suddenly she's just there and speaks up and says something almost as if she kind of materialized Um kind of uh, like misty. Um, I would probably be remiss to say that that probably wasn't a coincidence. Um, and it makes me laugh every time. <laughs> um, I think one of the reasons why I like her so much is she reminded me um, of myself kind of growing up. And so, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think a lot of people saw at least part of themselves in Luna growing up because everybody, you know, feels that pressure at least at some point in their lives to be somebody that they're not. And whether you give into that or not, it's really wonderful to see a character who truly doesn't care what other people think. Yeah. I think I relate to Luna. I hmm, maybe the most out of all the characters. I don't know. I'd have to really think about that to say a hundred percent, but if not, you know, number one, she's very high on my list of people I relate to in the series. Not necessarily favorite character, although she is also one of my favorites. But I feel a lot of what she, not that she went through necessarily, like I didn't have a parent die when I was young or anything like that. But the whole like, kind of um, in tune with nature and animals, and being kind of a hippie chick, like, that's so me. And also, I didn't conform to societal norms either as a child or an adult, and I still just don't care to. And um, it's good to see an example of that in literature that is successful. Like sometimes we see a character who's just the weirdo, but in the end, everyone still makes fun of them or they just they come across as weird but not in a redeemable likable way but in, by the end of this series you're like in love with her just as harry loves her like not in love in a romantic sense but as a friend 
absolutely actually does love her enough to name one of his children after her. So that growth that we see from when we first meet her in order to the end of Deathly Hallows, um, I just, I'm totally just skipping all around and I, I apologize, but I just love her so much and that she gets a happy ending um, where a lot of characters like this, I feel like in other series don't. Yeah. And I think, you know, another ty- another example of characters like this is a character who is out there and then by the end of the story has come to a middle and isn't, you know, isn't so strange. Yeah. Is maybe conforming more than they were at the beginning. Um, and I love that Luna doesn't do that. She doesn't change who she is, even when she goes through things that are really, really hard. Um, and she's still just the wonderful version of her. And that doesn't mean that she'll never change anything about herself, um, but she'll only change if she wants to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's like a lack of growth, but definitely if you read her descriptions um, and her dialogue in Deathly Hallows, um, it, it could be the same dialogue that you find in Order of the Phoenix or Hapla Prince. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just so consistent. And I definitely love that. That's a great point. What makes me smile is thinking about like uh, her grandfather-in-law, Newt, and her sitting around and talking about, yes. you know, diesels and and <laughs> rumpant horns and like. And I hope that uh, he instills some mm, like a mo- like the tiniest little bit of like common sense in Luna because <laughs> I feel like she's lacking in that. Like, obviously I don't think that she's stupid or whatever, but I do think that there's that little bit of common sense and skepticism that maybe somebody needs to like instill in her just a little bit, not a lot, just a little. And I hope that, you know, Newt is able to like bring her down a notch and like tell her that that horn that blew up her house really was an rumpant horn. You know? <laughs> like, so. trust me, I know I had one in my case. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. I wonder too, though, if if Luna opens his mind a little bit and and he starts wondering about some of the things that she believes in, and because you know he's never seen it before, so maybe it could be real. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but you know. um, and we're going to keep this conversation spoiler-free for everybody listening, just in case you haven't seen Crimes of Grindelwald yet. But um, I feel like, um, and Eddie said it recently, and there's been a bunch of articles about this, um, about how he believes that Newt um, is autistic and on the spectrum at some point. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that level of skepticism almost comes from those qualities, not necessarily you know, from autism, because I have no experience with that. I have no idea. But I feel like kind of those somehow play together. And I don't see him. I, I like the idea of, you know, him maybe opening and broadening his mind. But <laughs> but I I don't see it happening. I think that he's a stubborn, a stubborn old man, probably by that point. <laughs> and yeah, he's quite old by the time that uh, Luna and, and Ralph meet. Yes. Yeah. Well, and like, I wonder if like the conversation goes something like, 
Luna, I've told you a thousand times there's no such thing as an Argold or something like that. Scrumplehorn, Snorkak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, if they don't end movie five with like a flash forward of a super hella old Eddie Redmayne and like Ivana Lynch sitting down listening to him talk, I'm out. Peace out. I'm done. Oh, very much like like Lord of the Rings, like Bilbo and Frodo. Yeah, exactly. I want that. I want Hasn't Ivana said that she's down? Yeah, she has. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. And so and from what I hear, these movies play a lot of fan service. So, like, Joe, pay attention. <laughs> we want this. Okay? We want this. Sorry. And that's all we're going to say about Crimes of Grindelwald. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to get more into adult Luna in a little bit. Um, but let's talk about the Luna that we see in the seven books. Um, three books, really. So I, I came across a number of articles, um, and essays written about, uh, Luna as, um, either enforcing or dismantling the concept of a manic pixie dream girl. So for those who may not be uh, aware of what that means, a manic pixie dream girl exists uh, solely in the fevered imaginations of sensitive writer-directors to teach broodingly soulful young men to embrace life and its infinite mysteries and adventures. I believe that is the definition by the person who coined the term manic pixie dream girl. So what do we think? Does Luna enforce or dismantle this idea? I definitely don't think she exists solely for that purpose. She definitely helps along those lines. Um, embracing life and its infinite mysteries and adventures. Sure, like her acceptance of death is a way to embrace life and she passes that on to Harry. I feel like her wisdom that she gives to him when he is struggling with those situations uh, helps him on his journey. And with everyone she touches, I feel like she kind of inspires them that anything's possible in a sense. So I see, I think some of this could apply to her, but I definitely don't think that's her sole purpose in being in this series. She definitely has her own agency. And, um, you know, her anytime she's on the page or, you know, even in the screen, um, there's always a reason for her to be there versus like um like a walking poster board with the values and morals that we're just supposed to see and be like okay thanks Luna, <laughs> if that makes any sense yeah. <laughs> i feel like i don't disagree with anything everyone says i also feel like in a way luna gets lifted up on top of this pedestal kind of like lily does and some people i think tend to forget that she's not in fact perfect yeah the movies don't help with that. <laughs> no, I, I definitely agree that. with that. I mean, in the book, sometimes I forget. Um, and then when I'm rereading, I, you know, I'm really graded by her in a scene or, you know, um, she, you know, just, just has a, a moment that really sticks out like a sore thumb. And I remember that she isn't this, you know, angelic, mm-hmm. you know, e- ever flowing blonde hair character. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She definitely has a lot of depth, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and I think that um, that she has a lot of different impacts on different characters, and and I think that maybe with Harry, she uh, helps him, you know, quote embrace life and its infinite mysteries and adventures. But I think she 
has definitely different interactions with other characters and different impacts on them. Yeah, I don't I don't think that is her sole purpose. No, I would agree. Yeah, and we see, you know, in in the fifth book that she she has a lot to offer beyond just who she interacts with. Yeah, as Taylor said, she definitely has agency. And she is, like, casually on board to, like, put her life in danger to go with them to <laughs> uh, the, the Department of Mysteries um, <clears throat> after only meeting these characters, like, a few chapters before, uh, which um, I, I definitely love. Yeah, that's kind of amazing. So, actually, I think this leads very well into talking about Luna's friends, um, and, and maybe not just how she impacts them, but how they impact her as well. So let's, let's start with Harry because that's an obvious one. Yeah. <laughs> but um, they're not friends. <laughs> <laughs> so when Luna and Harry first meet, does Harry consider her a friend or does it take him some time to consider her a friend? It definitely takes some time. Yeah. Time. Cause she is straight up weirdo at first. Yeah. yeah, what do you think that point is where he realizes that they're friends? I think after the battle, um, when she actually goes to the ministry and actually puts her life on the line and does her best to help and, and actually does help some of the other um, like DA members that may not have made it without her. Like she kicks some butt in that battle. Yeah, she like she saved someone. I forget who from like being you know pulverized or something by death eater and then like immediately afterwards like a spell is cast and her body is like thrown across the room or like slides across the desk yeah. or something like really violent I think it's, uh aren't they with hermione at that point no jenny i think it is jenny yeah because somebody had a hold of her ankle and luna That's blew oh yeah in their face which i think is hilarious yeah <laughs> um <laughs> So, yeah, I think by that point, he's like, oh, okay, you did all this to help me. We're friends, like, done. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, I mean, I absolutely love Ivana's portrayal of Luna, but this is the Luna that I wanted in the movies because it is clear that she is contributing, you know, at the level of everybody else. And in the movies, she's sort of like a tag along, which is really sad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's it's not until Deathly Hallows when she gets my favorite moment. Well, one of my favorite moments in that movie where she's like, Harry Potter, you listen to me right now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But up until then, she's kind of just like along for the ride. But in the books, she, well, she's definitely a comic. Yeah. In the books, she really has a lot more to do, which is, you know, easy to forget when when. We're all watching the movies all the time. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. This is why I on I don't I don't want to say refuse, but I do not seek out the movies anymore. Like I have all yeah. of them. If I really had the itch, I would put one on. And I usually do watch at least the first one every Christmas. But I don't watch them anymore because I get so confused and it drives me crazy. <laughs> and I don't want to like be in some trivia contest and get something wrong <laughs> because of a movie. Right, because, like, the people expect you to know everything, and then, like, you're so sure, and then they're, like, the answer's wrong, and then it's like, oh, my gosh, that was movie only. You guys are amateurs. (laughs) I know. 
definitely arm. Well, Taylor and I were finding something on Pottermore before we started recording. That's a movieism. Not that we should be surprised, but yeah. What was that? What was it <laughs> about her shoes? That she was looking for her shoes. Oh, and yeah. it's not. Yeah, for for like context, there's this like beautiful, um, it's like, like an infographic. What is the word? Yeah, it's like an infographic about Luna, and it's. At first glance, you're like, look at all this wonderful content. But um, whenever you look closer, there's more to meet, more than meets the eye for sure. Well, so um, go, going back to Luna and Harry for a second. Um, so I, I see here a point about Harry and Luna sharing death experiences. Do we think that uh, Luna helped him come to terms with the death that he's experienced in his life up to that point? Totally. Not, maybe not come to terms with, but I think that Luna's openness and willingness to talk about it and the fact that she is the first orphan that, that Harry has ever. She's not an orphan. Well, she's lost a parent. So yeah, she, she is in a sense, right? I mean, Xenophilus has quacked. He's crazy. Uh, <laughs> not that I don't love him, don't get me wrong. I love Mason Zeno, but this is the first person Harry's probably ever met that he can actually relate to on a level and the fact that she is so open and willing and honest to talk about it with him with no pretense no uh no ulterior motive just just talk about it and to understand and to listen or in most cases with harry to not talk about it Mm -hmm. i think that that has earned her an infinitesimal amount of respect as far as he's concerned. Well, and she also, like, doesn't make a huge deal of it either, right? Like, right. she she doesn't blow it out of proportion or, you know, start crying in front of him or anything, you know, like Cho does. Mm-hmm. Um, she makes it a very digestible topic, which up until then it kind of wasn't for Harry. And she gives him hope. Yeah, she with the whole like yeah. we'll see them again, you know, on the other side of the veil. And I think that really helps him. I mean, he may not necessarily believe it at that moment, but it at least plants it in his mind and gives him a little bit of comfort that he needed. So I think that's a huge gift that she gave him. Do you think that the fact that she's so nonchalant and casual about it was jarring to him? Because um, I think you know, pivoting off of what you know, has already been said, but uh, she, it's, it's a part of her identity without her making it um, like a mainstay, something that she always talks about. And I think Harry sometimes struggles with um, falling back on that. uh, And she doesn't. And I was wondering if y'all think that he found that to be jarring um, Hmm. just because she's, I'll say it again, like super casual about it. Uh, no, I think that the death of his parents has been so built up by society. And before before he even steps foot in Hogwarts, you know, Hagrid, I, I can't exactly remember how much information Hagrid does or doesn't say in the book. But, you know, all of these people are seeing him at Diagon Alley. I'm like, oh, my God, I am so excited to meet you. And like, I love you. And thank you for saving the world. And I feel like the death of his parents has been so built up for him that it's it's not only a cause of sadness I, I feel like it's a great cause of anxiety for harry and i think that the relief that luna gives him from allowing it to be just not a big deal parents die people die it happens 
I think that that's a, a comfort for him. Yeah, and I think, too, um, Luna is kind of the first person to give him permission to be sad about it. Mm-hmm. And because Luna says, like, you know, it's sad. Like, I feel sad about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Um, and kind of everybody else in Harry's life either builds it up, like you said, or is like, you know, oh, you know, that was forever ago. Mm-hmm. Like, get over it. And, and she gives it the space that it deserves to actually feel those feelings in a healthy way. So much is put onto Harry because of the death of James and Lily, even by people like Sirius, who continually says things mm-hmm. like, you remind me so much of your father. Like, that that can be such a stressor it's for awful. somebody. I mean, uh, you know, if I were Harry, it would be like, so every time you look at me, you think about my dead father. That would be, like, debilitating for me. I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine being the person who reminds someone of someone they lost every time they look at me. That would be such a burden. Whew. In the beginning, I think Harry sees it as a compliment because he has built his father up on such a pedestal until that's torn down in the memory scene. Um, but I think you're right. Continued use of that after that point probably does start to grate on him in some respect. Like, I'm my own person, Sirius. I wish he would love me for me and not just because I'm James's son. Uh, At least Sirius dies, so it stops eventually. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How did I know you were going to say that? I never miss an opportunity. <laughs> never. To drill on Sirius Black. Sorry. I can't help it, guys. All right. So, so let's move on and talk about uh, another friend of Luna's, Ginny. And this one is so interesting to me because their relationship is largely off the page. Um, like all really... of Ginny's relationships, honestly. <laughs> fair. (laughs) Um, but we really don't get to see Luna and Ginny together. Um, but both of them talk about each other and talk about spending time together. And it's clear that their, their friendship is, is meaningful to each of them. Um, I have a quote here where Luna says a bit lonely without the DA. Ginny's been nice though. She stopped two boys in our transfiguration class calling me loony the other day. Typical Ginny. yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, I found that I found that kind of interesting, and I'm wondering too if uh, the relationship between Ginny and Luna started as kind of it did with Harry and Luna, where you know they they sort of liked each other, but they weren't really that close, um, and it took a little bit of time for them to become friends because we get a lot of these little um, quotes where. You know, Ginny is just nice to Luna, and, and Luna interprets that as friendship. But does Ginny feel the same way? I always assumed that since they're in the same year, they either met on the train or in a class or something. And I have always seen Ginny as the type of girl who doesn't really get along with the other girls in Gryffindor House. And I think that this can be proven by her relationship with Hermione, which isn't necessarily very close uh, Jenny is very much kind of an alpha female in a way. She's, she's strong, she's brave, she's outspoken, she's smart. And I think that Luna's personality is a good compliment to Ginny. So I think that probably when they met, 
I think it was probably an instant friendship, uh, specifically because of that, because they are so different. And Jenny doesn't feel the need to compete with Luna because they, they're such different people. I would disagree that Jenny and Hermione aren't close. Just the amount of information they confide in each other. I mean, again, it's off the page, but it's alluded to or talked about here and there. I think they had a pretty darn good relationship, but I agree that I think uh, Luna and Jenny were probably closer. Um, Probably spent more time together since they were the same age. Uh, probably had classes together, like you said. Like, I would love to read the scene of their first interaction. I bet it was amazing, whatever it was. I'm sure there's a fanfic out there. Yes, probably <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I always picture Ginny and Hermione, and I think we've talked about this before, too, and I won't go too off topic, but that really their conversations only consisted of talking about boys. That's really the only evidence we have of any of their conversations off screen. Hmm. As they talk about Ron or they talk about Harry. Yeah, you may be right. So, yeah, maybe that was refreshing for Jenny to find a girl that she can talk about other stuff with. Right. And not boys, because Luna is not even remotely interested in boys, as far as we could tell. Mm-hmm. You know, I know for a lot of people, she's seen as, um, you know, either asexual or uh, pansexual. So... Yeah, I love that it's open for interpretation. Yeah, and I love that we have a character who, like, that's not the focal point. You know, especially in Half-Blood, where that's the focal point for a lot of the characters. Yeah. It's it's just not for Luna. And we don't know that she's not interested in that. Um, But we also don't know that she is, and that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You keep that info to yourself, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Do what you want to do. That's right. <laughs> I like your point you were saying before, though, about Jenny being kind of an alpha girl. Like, she's been brought up with a house full of boys. Um, she's just very tomboyish by... It, it's not like she meant to be. She just... How could you help it being brought up by, with that many brothers and wanting to actually interact with them? You would have to play the games they want to play and do the things they want to do, knowing that as a younger sister to a boy um, and had a <laughs> neighborhood full of boys. If I wanted to play with somebody, I was going to have to do what they were interested in or I was just going to be alone. So... I think it's probably refreshing for Jenny to find someone that is female, that she can just explore that side of herself a little bit, Um, because she probably hasn't up until that point. And I don't mean like, oh, let's learn how to do each other's hair and dress each other. And I don't mean like over the top girly stuff, but just a female that and an only child at that. So Luna, again, her social skills may be different than a typical other female would be as well. Um, I don't know. Their their relationship is very interesting to me, and I think it just fits and works so well. Well, and it just seems really effortless. Um, I think, you know, I don't know if I can speak for everyone here, but, like, I many times in my life, like, I've had one of those, like, effortless best friends where it was like, well, we've had lunch together every day for the past two months. I guess we're best <laughs> <Yeah>. friends now. <laughs> and and then it just keeps going. And I'd like to imagine that that's probably somewhat similar to their story. Yeah, I also like to um, imagine, not that Luna really is an introvert, but she has some introverted qualities for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ginny 
seems very extroverted. And I definitely am very introverted and I have extroverted friends who have like kind of adopted me (laughs) and they just like invite me to stuff and include me in things and, uh, you know, are very patient with my introvertedness and, and do some of the hard social work for me. Um, and I kind of like to imagine in my headcanon that Ginny is like that for Luna, that she just, you know, came up to Luna one day and was like, hi, would you like to be friends? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I could see that. <laughs> and just like, you know, likes to invite Luna to come hang out with her on the grounds or whatever. And um, and just always likes to include her in things, which would make me really happy. <laughs> Very Dean and Seamus. I get the same vibe from them that they were just like bosom buddies from the second that they met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Easy breezy, you know. I mean, uh, you know. Without all of the uh, sexy romantic undertones of Dean and Seamus. <laughs> Maybe I'm projecting, but I don't think so. <laughs> no, I think it's canon. I think I read that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Salt and pepper for the win, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is what they call it, by the way. I did not come up with that name. So, And by they, I mean Alfie and Devin. So. That's amazing. All right, so let's move on to talk about Ron and Luna. This might be my favorite thing. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, because I think uh, this shows the greatest character arc of people who are friends with Luna. Um, Because at first, when Ron and Luna meet each other, they don't seem to really click. They don't really like each other that much. Um... Ron thinks that Luna's weird, and Luna thinks that Ron is grating. Um, <laughs> and as as they get to know each other, I think they start to like each other more, and, and that's really cool to me. I think it comes from Ron loosening the F up. Like, Ron, <laughs> Ron when, he meets, when he meets her at the beginning of Order of the Phoenix, is so insecure. He is getting to the point where, you know... He's probably realizing from the year before that he likes Hermione. That was probably something he came to a very harsh realization about uh, after the Yule Ball and over the summer and all of that. And I think he's just feeling incredibly insecure in his own body. And when that happens, people tend to lash out at other people because they're afraid to be real with himself. And I think that that was Ron's problem with Luna is that she is so out there and open and just okay with who she is, the good, bad, the ugly, and the weird. And Ron has, he never had that. He was never really okay with who he was up until that point. And honestly, I think that he learns the most about himself from her. Yeah. And, and, There's also, on the flip side, um, Luna doesn't let Ron get away with being, you know, gross. Um, Being privileged. Being privileged. Yeah. Right. A lot of Ron's other friends just sort of breeze past the not-so-nice things that he says or or the ways that he acts, and nobody ever really gives him feedback that, like, hey, that wasn't cool. And Luna doesn't really do it to his face, but she does point it out. Um, 
And I mean, my one of my favorite Luna quotes is uh, he says very funny things sometimes, doesn't he? Said Luna as they set off down the corridor together. But he can be a bit unkind. I noticed that last year. And he actually does say it to it or she says it to his does face she? about taking Padma to the Yule Ball and how she did not have a good time. Oh, right. Um, because he wouldn't dance with her. And she's like, I don't think I would have minded. I don't like to dance anyway. Which is really funny now that she's on Dancing with the Stars. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she calls him out you know, when she's and she's just met him, which I think is hysterical. I love her just blatant honesty. And it, she's not trying to be unkind. That's just her. Um, and I think he's like affronted by that because he's not used to anyone ever saying something negative to him unless it's like Malfoy or something, somebody being a complete jerk. He's not used to someone just being like, you know, that thing you did, that really wasn't cool. Maybe you could have done something different. I don't know. I think his friends let him get away with a little too much sometimes. So yeah. I like the little reality check that she gives him. Well, and and we see such a wonderful arc with Ron where he not only warms to Luna, but he also, you know, he isn't just nice to her because that's the right thing to do. Like he you know, gives her genuine compliments and, and truly does seem to, to like her as a person, the more they get to know each other. And, and when she is abducted, he is just as worried for her as the rest of them, which, um, I kind of wouldn't have expected from his character previously. Uh, but I, I love the interaction between them when she commentates the match and Ron gets to hear her from the hospital wing. And he says to her, nice commentary last match, said Ron to Luna as she took back the green onion, the toadstool, and the cat litter. Luna smiled vaguely. I just love that out of context. We're all just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Luna smiled vaguely. You're making fun of me, aren't you? She said. Everyone says I was dreadful. No, I'm serious, said Ron earnestly. I can't remember enjoying commentary more. What is this, by the way? He added, holding the onion-like object up to eye level. Oh, it's a Gertie root, she said, stuffing the cat litter and the toadstool back into her bag. You can keep it if you like. I've got a few of them. They're really excellent for warding off gulping plimpies. <laughs> and she walked away, leaving Ron chortling, still clutching the Gertie root. You know, she's grown on me, Luna, he said as they set off again for the Great Hall. I know she's insane, but it's in a good... Yep. <laughs> I think a lot of that obviously comes not only from them having gone through something together, but it comes from Ron being significantly more comfortable with who he is as a person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Being more confident in himself and realizing that he doesn't have to be a rude person to people to make other people laugh and make him like him. He also um, has a pattern of othering other people. Um he really doesn't have a lot of patience for things that he doesn't understand. And, and he definitely, um, uh, we see that arc with the, the house elf moment in Deadly Hallows. <laughs> um, but I think this is another example of that where he's, you know, he gets this weird onion like thing and he's like, hmm, what's this? This is interesting. <laughs> Rather than like, ugh, what is this? <laughs> yeah. Which is how he would have reacted before. True. <laughs> Can we credit Luna with any of this arc, or is this all Ron? Well, I mean, Luna helped him grow and change and accept the person that he was. I imagine that after 
everything went down at the Ministry of Magic in Order of the Phoenix, and Ron was in the hospital wing for a while. I can't imagine Luna going in there to check on him, and I can't imagine her not doing that, if I didn't say that correctly the first time, and having them spend some time together. I feel like Ron went, Ron went through something significant. We don't exactly know what, but you know, the book even says the memories and thoughts leave deep, deep scars. And that's not just a philosophical thing. I mean, he had actual, he had actual scars. And I feel like Luna probably spent some time with Ron there and they talked about things and who else would he talk to that stuff about and feel so open and like he could do that without judgment. I think that that's, was probably Luna. Again, more content I need to read. I want to see that. (laughs) She probably made him laugh. Oh, I want to see that. But I love, too, that he makes her laugh so hard when they first meet on the train. Oh, yeah. Like, this was completely left out of the movie, and it makes me sad. But as someone who will completely burst out laughing at something that other people think is dumb... I love that scene when he's making fun of Crab or Goyle, one of them, doing lines. And she just laughs, like, ridiculously loud and hard and long. And he's just like, you're making fun of me, aren't you? And she's just like, no, it's really funny. I just, it makes me happy. (laughs) I love that, like, even the animals are kind of like, they're like so shook (laughs) by, like, the outbursts of laughter that, like, J.K. Rowling was like... Readers need to know that even the animals are <laughs> bothered by this. Yeah. True. I identify with that so hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's move into talking about Hermione and Luna for a minute here. So, um, Hermione is, it, Luna is very clearly a foil for Hermione. Hermione is extremely by the book and factual and scientific um and luna is not any of those things (laughs) (laughs) and it is interesting to me in the different passages where they are almost being pitted against each other um in some of them i think it makes hermione seem really stubborn and closed-minded and in other scenes it makes luna seem like way out there and completely unrealistic and you know totally crazy are we supposed to side with one of them or another like as in like are you more of a marilyn monroe or jackie kennedy yeah (laughs) kind of like siding okay (laughs) Uh, i don't know I don't know if I love the idea of like pitting um, like two like female characters against each other, but they're just so different. And and I, I truly do think that Hermione thinks that Luna is ridiculous, um, even though, of course, she like grows to love her, you know, like later on. But um, sometimes when people are so, so different, um, one person just cannot comprehend um, what makes that other person tick. And it just drives them insane. And I kind of think that's how that dynamic is whenever they first meet. They have more in common than we think, though, because as I mentioned before, I feel like Luna's put up on this pedestal. And we have to remember that Luna is incredibly judgmental. And that is something that she shares with Hermione. And a lot of people 
I think, tend to forget that about her. But Luna is not necessarily the free thinker that we all allow her to be. She judges other people for not believing what she believes. That's judgmental. She does it all the time to everybody. Hermione does it too, just in a different way. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure readers, like, identify with one more than the other, but I don't know that we're supposed to really side with one or the other, because like you said, Kat, they are kind of opposite sides of the same coin. Um, It is a a really interesting foil, though, for Hermione, and a, a bit of a... Something she has to kind of get over, get past, work through, like, because she outright just insults Luna's dad immediately when they meet. And then she's like, oh, crap. And she has to, like, backtrack a little bit. And then she's a little more careful about what she says about the quibbler when she's around Luna from that point on. So it teaches Hermione a good lesson, too. Like, don't just assume everyone thinks the same way you do just because you go to school together. Um Hmm. They do have a a tricky relationship. I do like, though, that by the end, it doesn't matter. Like, they're completely on the same page, on the same side, etc. None of that seems to bother them anymore. I mean, like, what a foot and mouth moment, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) the way she insults that. (laughs) How, like, humiliating. Uh... Poor Hermione. (laughs) Because she's usually... (laughs) the the voice for the underdog or tries to be you know she's got the whole spew thing going on for house elves it's like she's more willing to put herself out there for another race that's being othered than another human being who's being othered um well and then she herself like she's has her insecurities about um coming from a muggle family and kind of feeling like she herself is othered and having to constantly like prove um, or the like feeling like she has to constantly prove um, her worth among you know these witches and, and wizards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder how that compares or like what she thinks about Luna, who is not trying to constantly, um, I don't know, uh, explain her existence or her, her, her quirkiness or something like that. All right. Well, so let's move into a fun one. Neville. Neville and Luna have um, such an interesting relationship. I think most of it is um, built by years of headcanon and fanfiction. So it's a little bit hard <laughs> to piece some of that out um, from what's actually in the seven books. Um, but I know that a lot of fans were hoping for them to get together um, definitely shipping them and we're disappointed when they didn't get together. Um, does this ship have, you know, grounds? Does it, is there evidence for this or is this a pair of the spares syndrome where, you know, they were the last of the silver trio to not be paired up. So it's a movieism. It's a movieism. It's only because, <laughs> it's, it's only because of 100%. that like little scene at the end of Deathly Hallows. Yes, definitely. I don't think anybody would have paired them together before that moment. I don't know about that. I think this ship existed before that movie came out. I kind of think the same. Like, I don't necessarily remember it existing or hearing about it. But because they are both oddballs 
And like you said, they weren't paired up with anyone else. I could see some people just kind of automatically throwing them together like, well, of course, they're going to end up together. They're both weirdos. But at the same time, they're great people. Um, So, yeah, I don't necessarily ship them myself either then or now, but I could see how other people could kind of subconsciously do it without even thinking about it. Yeah, and and not only do their personalities gel pretty well together, but they also both end up pursuing naturalist careers, which is Mm. interesting to me. Um, So, yeah, I think, I do think that they have, that there's some evidence for them being a good match. Um, But I like that they, that Joe didn't go there. I like that. Yeah that we just get to have them be friends. And and we see, again, their friendship is off the page as well because um, we know that they become close when they're kind of the only ones left who are missing the DA because that was a huge part of their lives when it existed. And um, and so they, they find each other that way. Um which I think is just so lovely. <laughs> yes. So I, I, in my personal head canon, I kind of wonder if they didn't, you know, date for a little while and realize they were just close friends and then stayed friends for the rest of their lives. Oh my God. What if he asked her out using the coins? Aww. <laughs> That would be really I'm cute. sure that exists as a fan fiction. <laughs> Listeners, please send us links for fan fiction. Yes. <laughs> and it's it's kind of funny to me too that even Neville is turned off by her when they first meet. I mm-hmm. thought you were gonna say turned on and I was like, What? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, where are we going? <laughs> Alternate deleted scene, sorry. No, like even he's kind of chuckling or giving her weird looks and like oh goodness who's this strange person and i'm like really neville like who are you to judge (laughs) hello pot this is kettle they're both black yeah i I mean he's not mean about it by any means he never says anything mean to her or treats her badly it's just his initial you can tell his initial reaction to her is not a positive one But thankfully, he seems to get over it quicker than most. So that says something good about him, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So um, we talked a little bit about the um, the DA and how Luna and Neville both felt like they had a huge hole in their lives after the DA ended. And it just made me wonder, are these characters the only characters that Luna is friends with? Does Luna have any friends in her own house? Um, we definitely see some evidence of, of bullying by other students. Um, and when we see Luna's room and she has her friends painted up on her ceiling, these are the only ones included. Um, but is she friendly with other people in her house or is she kind of off on her own? When she's with other Ravenclaws. Yeah, we don't see any evidence of her having any Ravenclaw friends, which is sad. But I I really do think they just bully her and don't accept her. And, you know, Ravenclaw House, she she's not the standard 
that you would think of when you think of a Ravenclaw, you wouldn't immediately, like, if we had just met her, didn't know what house she was in, people would be, like, guessing probably Hufflepuff. Um, yeah, probably Hufflepuff is what most people would just assume. Because she's not book smart, or at least we don't see that. She probably is. I think she does well in her exams. I mean, she's obviously a gifted witch, but that doesn't seem to be her most, uh, like, what she's most invested in is going to the library all the time and passing all of her tests with the highest score. That's not her motivation in life. Um, so probably she just is an, a, a bit of an outsider with people who that is their motivation. Um, and they probably just don't get it. Like, why are you here? Why did the sorting hat put you with us? You don't belong. <laughs> but she definitely does have a lot of house pride, though. Yeah. Yeah. And she is definitely friends with one of the Patil sisters. Oh, that's true. Uh, I can't remember which one because I never remember which is in which house. Padma. Okay, thanks. Padma. She's definitely <laughs> friends with Padma Patil. So. And they're not even the same year, are they? Uh, no, because the Patil, so. they're in uh, Harry's year. That's what I thought. So, hmm, that's true. Maybe Padma kind of takes pity on her. Maybe she sees what's going on and takes her under her wing a little bit and forms a friendship. I don't know. Well, really, the, the only interaction with Padma that we see is um, is when Luna's saying that Padma was disappointed that Ron didn't dance with her. Um, and this brings me to a a point that I wanted to make about Luna's intelligence and how it's different from what you typically would expect from a Ravenclaw. And a friend of mine pointed this out to me, and I just love it, that um, Luna has a really high emotional intelligence. Um, and we talked about this a lot when we were talking about her relationship with Harry. Um, but part of that is she she really taps into what people are feeling. Um, and you know, when, when Harry talks to her about what he's feeling, she never tells him that he's wrong for feeling that way or that he should feel differently about a situation. She just sort of validates his feelings. Um, and, and I see her do that with other characters as well. And I just love the idea that she could be in Ravenclaw because she has high emotional intelligence. Ooh, I like that too. Because even when she is choosing to sort of be like off in the clouds a little bit. She is paying attention to other people. Um, and she's not quite as disconnected from people as she seems. And it's something that you, that you don't really notice until you start looking for it. Um, but yeah, she's paying attention. Which I love. And Luna, too, as I mentioned before, and speaking as a Ravenclaw, uh, fits the profile of a judgmental Ravenclaw. Because, mm -hmm. again, speaking as a Ravenclaw, we are judgmental people. And not that everybody isn't judgmental. Every person on this planet judges other people in some way. Every situation, anywhere, it doesn't matter who you are. But... I've often found that the people in my life who are the most judgmental, who are most, who more easily jump to conclusions about things, I mean, with the exception of Harry, uh, that would definitely be Ravenclaw in this case. And I think that that's, those are both traits that, that Luna definitely possesses. Hmm. Yeah, listeners. Oh, yeah. 
please pose to them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, listeners, please go to the main site and let us know what qualities of Luna's you think make her a Ravenclaw. Because I don't think any of us are arguing here that she is a Ravenclaw. Um, but uh, but yeah, so if if you have thoughts on why that is, please let us know. We'd love to read. I'm gathering by the dead silence the two times I have brought this up that nobody agrees with me that Luna's judgmental. And I'm really shocked by that. I'm really shocked. I don't I don't disagree with you. Um I don't think it's her defining trait. Um, well I don't think it is I either, think, but she's definitely I mean, she definitely I think possesses she, it. I think she is a little bit, um but also um I think she more points out things that people don't want to hear, um, which can sometimes feel like being judgmental, but I don't, I don't think quite is judgmental. Uh, I think it's just being, being honest in a way that usually is not socially acceptable. Yeah. I see where you're going and I'm, yeah, I'm agreeing with you. I don't, again, I don't disagree, Kat, that she, can be judgmental or has that tendency, but I'm more with Beth where it's just pointing out truths. Um, cause sometimes when people are judgmental, they are making assumptions. They are taking what little information they have and forming a complete belief around that. But she seems to be taking just literally, she knows this. So she calls that thing out. She doesn't paint a person you know, their entire personality is this because they did this one thing. Um, she like does, she's... though, to Hermione several times. Well, no, I, I don't know about that. I think um, to Hermione, she's more pointing out that Hermione is close-minded. Um, and she's right. <laughs> um, and and so she, she may be judging Hermione for that. Um, but I think it, the, the predominant interaction there is her saying, well, you don't know that I'm not right. Like, you you don't really have proof that what I'm saying couldn't possibly be true, um, but yet you're willing to completely shut me down. Um, and she's not afraid to just tell Hermione that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, but the thing is, Luna does that to Hermione, too. That's true. Many times. But like, I should have come yeah, up with true. quotes ahead of time because there are specific things <laughs> that I have um, thought about and been like, wow, what's up, judgy much, Luna? But I, <laughs> did, I did not come prepared with those. So, And, and I, I think you're definitely right. And I wonder if that comes from just a lifetime of people telling her that she doesn't know what she's talking about or that she you know, that there's no way that the things that she believes in are, could be true. Um, and so she's just sort of built up this defiant attitude about it where, where she isn't willing to, to put up with people trying to tell her that she doesn't know what's going on. I think a good example of what Beth and I are trying to get across is when she's talking about Ron, she says he can be a bit unkind. She doesn't say he is unkind. He is a jerk. It's just he can be unkind at times. 
She's just observing. Yeah. So that's different to me than judging someone. And yeah, that wouldn't be an example I would use to support my argument. Because I agree with you there. Okay. Yeah, I do. I do know what you're talking about, Kat. There are definitely times where where Hermione just shuts Luna down, and there are times where Luna is like totally shutting Hermione down. Just like you don't you don't know what you're talking about. And and yeah, she so strongly believes the things that she believes in that she doesn't give a lot of room for those things possibly being wrong. And I think that leaves, leads in really well into the next topic here, oh, wait, which is... You, sorry. Yeah. I have one more yeah, thought. Yeah, go for it. Just one more thought with Hermione. The, the thing I love about their relationship, though, is even though they have these heated arguments on more than one occasion, they still get over it. They don't hold it against each other and mm-hmm. become enemies or just ignore each other. They're... They're mature enough to just be like, okay, we have some differences of of opinion. We can put those aside and still realize that we have the same common goals, the same common friends, and that's more important than these arguments we've had in the past. And they're able to. Which is a rarity in all human beings, quite honestly. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So that's another thing I love about Luna. Okay, so um, moving on to talk about. Luna's beliefs and her theories. Um, she gets a lot of these from her dad, but I think she uh, perpetuates a lot of them on her own as well. Um, and some of them may even be of her own creation. Um, and so I'm curious what you guys think. Do we think that she is a conspiracy theorist? Is she gullible, just like falling for whatever her dad makes up? Um, is she optimistic, hoping that there's another explanation for things in the world? Um, and does she be- actually truly believe all of these things? Or is she just um, trying to not be like everybody else? That's a lot of questions for one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh- <laughs> The former, I do. Th- I I think she really believes them, personally. Yeah, I don't really think that she's a conspiracy theorist. Um, you know, a lot of the times, uh, you know, the the quibbler is, is brought in um, as a plot device throughout the books, and it kind of turns into this like anti Daily Prophet, um, where it's really the Daily Prophet posting the conspiracy theories about Harry right, Rita, and Dumbledore. Rita Skeeter is a conspiracy theorist, right? Oh yeah, like one hundred percent. I mean, she's such like a muckraker, <laughs> and. I I think that I would love to get like a copy on every edition of the Quibbler and just totally analyze that. But I feel like she doesn't go around making things up to try to like incite fear and unrest um, and, and, and stir the pot, which is what I think a conspiracy theorist um, can sometimes be. That is a good distinction. And I love that she's the first one to stand up and say, Harry Potter, I believe you that Voldemort is back and you saw him and he killed Cedric, etc. And I realize Hermione's like, well, you could do better than that. I wish somebody else would have been the first to say it. <laughs> but right after that, I think it's Ernie McMillan says the same thing. So she starts this chain of support that Harry needed in that moment. Um So I'm not really sure where I'm going with that. I just I wanted to point that out. So... That's one thing that she is disagreeing with the um, 
with the Daily Prophet on, which she probably disagrees with a lot of things they say, having her father be the editor of The Quibbler. But I don't think she's believing Harry just because it's not what the Daily Prophet says. I think she really does believe him. Um, so, it, yeah, the thing about, like, the Crumplehorn Snorkak and Nargles and all that, yeah, I think that's probably just been taught to her from a young age, from her father, maybe even her mother. We don't know much about her to know if she was the same way. Um, and sometimes it's hard to let go of things like that. Or maybe if it was her mother, I mean, we know her father believes it too later on because he's insisting that that horn is from one. But if her mother was also really into that and telling her stories about these things, and then her mother dies when she's young, I could see her trying to hold on to that even stronger because it connects her to her mother and taking offense at people who are like, no, that definitely doesn't exist. You're crazy. What are you talking about? So I could see how it might be difficult for her to let go of, of those if she has kind of this nostalgic, loving connection to them, even if she, she may not realize that's why she is perpetuating these things, but that might be part of her, um, ugh. I don't know the word. Part of the reason behind what she says and, and seems to believe. I mean, I kind of want to believe that everything that she believes is real. Because I think it's like the uh, – we've used this word a few times. Um, she's just making observations and casual ones at that. Uh, and I think her delivery is always so matter-of-fact um, about, uh, you know, what Nargles can do or um, – what the Gertie root is good for. Um, and it's just like, oh, here comes casual Luna <laughs> making an observation again. Um, that, you know, she kind of has that attitude of like, you can call me crazy all you want, but I know what's really up. Mm -hmm. And so it makes me want to like totally believe all of the stuff that she says. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think she's doing it to purposely make herself odd. Like, I, I've known people that put on this persona because they want to be different. They want to be unique. So they, you know, turn themselves into a goth or something, even though they don't actually want to wear black all the time and <laughs> listen to death yeah, metal. Poser. But they want to be accepted by some group. She is not accepted by any group. I mean, thankfully, she makes some friends. So she she sort of is, but not because of her oddities. It's just that's part of who she is and they don't mind that. So I don't think it's a front by any means. I think that's just her. I think it's a small part of who she is too and I think that the open-mindedness and the willingness to believe in things beyond what you can feel and see and experience only feeds into that for her. But I, but I think that, you know... The weird stuff, the, the nargles and all that stuff. I, I feel like that's such a small part of her personality. Um, and it really only stems from, besides you know, her environment growing up, but it stems from her open-mindedness. And it's so, it's a big part of what we see because of all of those other character traits that she holds. You know, yeah. if she were, if she were a introverted, um, introverted person who, I mean, sort of like Hermione, you know, uh, doesn't, needs to see something to believe it, then 
we would never hear about all of these other things that she believes in, but she likes to share her experiences and tell people how she feels. And she's, she's open and she's giving and she's willing to not only learn for the most part, but to try and educate people and get them to broaden their minds again. Mm-hmm. Second Trelawney reference. Well, I think something. I think something that's a little telling that that shows that she's not um, doing it because um, that's what she wants to be known for, or you know, she's constantly putting on a show. Is the fact that I think, like, to some extent, like relationships and friendships aren't really like, at least from what I get, like a huge priority for her. And I think you know, she makes that comment um, where she says you know, that she enjoyed something and that it was, it was like having friends or something like that. And then someone makes a, uh, or like, I think like in Harry's mind, he thinks like, oh, here comes Luna, like saying something like really nonchalantly that like makes everyone uncomfortable. And I'm like, oh, this is me too sometimes. But, um, (laughs) you know, she's, I think if it were like her thing, then she would be doing it on overdrive all the time and like in attempts to just like get people to like her. But she really doesn't if it is her thing that she's just kind of putting on a show it's not really for anyone but herself is the impression that i get yeah i think she'd be super annoying if she were doing it on purpose (laughs) like Mm -hmm. starting a society to educate everyone on nargles or something (laughs) (laughs) like Mm -hmm. spew you mean (laughs) (laughs) totally different Wow, by the way, total non-sequitur, but kind of also not, not surprised, but Kyo and Ivana did their Hogwarts dance again, so. Nice. Aw. Mm. I was just checking on Twitter to see if anything had happened yet, so. So I have a, a follow-on question to this. Um, is there a chance that she would abandon one of her odd beliefs if presented with facts against them? So, I mean... Hermione tries to tell her, like, oh, that, that doesn't exist. Um, th- this is probably what, what you're referring to. And she's like, oh, no, 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 you're wrong. Um, but that's not real evidence. Like, if she was face to face with an erumpent, for example, and the horn was identical to the horn in her house, would she be like, oh, I get it. <laughs> that's not real. <laughs> no. Well, J.K. Rowling would disagree with you. Apparently, from a Bloomsbury chat in 2007. Again, this is from an interview. Take it as you will. Doesn't have to be canon. But she says, um, this is talking about later in her life, that she became a very famous wizarding naturalist who discovered and classified many new species of animals. Though, alas, she never did find a crumplehorn snorkak and had finally to accept that her father may have made that one up. Yes, but that's grown up, Luna. Well, I thought we were just talking about her in general. Are we just talking oh. about her at the age she is in the books? I think I, either one. I think school age Luna would never change her mind. Yeah. Ever. Because yeah. she's a stubborn little bugger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I might agree with you there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I agree too. And I love that. Um, it, one of the things I love about the extra tidbits of information that we get beyond the books is we can see how the characters have grown past what we know them to be in the books. 
um, and that that's okay and totally normal for adults to not be exactly the same as they were when they were teenagers. Um, and, and I love that, that Luna maybe, she doesn't, um, lose any of the enthusiasm she has for the world, but she reels it in a little bit, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is very realistic for somebody growing up and maturing into an adult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I love when Hermione tells her, like, no, literally, it exploded. She's like, oh, I'm sure it's mended itself by then, by now. They do that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Luna. Adorable. But yeah, stubborn. That's a good word for it. <laughs> Luna reminds me a little bit of the science fiction trope of um civilizations who create religion around things that they don't understand that from the standpoint of the the story being told is something you know completely um innocuous um and and so i wonder if there's some element of that with luna where she sees something that she doesn't have an explanation for and so she uses her imagination to make one, um, and that is much more compelling than any evidence she may receive to the contrary. There are some good Star Trek episodes about that, aren't there? <laughs> yeah, there are. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <sighs> That's a great comparison. I love it. All right, so I want to dive into adult Luna in a minute, but first I want to talk a little bit about her parents. We've, we've touched on this a bit, but I think there's some more to get into here. Um, how much of each of her parents does she have in her personality and how much of her mother dying when, when she was young, how much did that influence the rest of her life? I think it's so hard to say. I, and obviously I'm not a psychologist. I don't really know how this works, but how much of her mother could she have in her in nine years? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think a good bit. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that she couldn't. I just, you know, when people say, oh, you've grown up to be so much like your mother, where does that come from? Does that come from spending 20 years, 30 years, 40 years with your mother, 10 minutes. I mean, is it, are you just born with it? Is that just the person that you are? And, and I think for Luna, it's difficult to say because we only ever see Zeno and he is so, he's, he has such strong beliefs, even though, you know, I know we meet him the first time and he's in a great mood and everything is good. And then the, the time where we actually get to spend time with him, He's so distressed and worried and willing to do anything for his kid mm-hmm. that it's it's hard to say where Luna's personality comes from. I think her beliefs probably come from her father. The the animal beliefs, the the believing in things that may not and probably are not real. I like to think and it's been my own headcanon that her belief in the beyond in the believing in things that you can't see or touch that you can only feel comes from her mother. Personally, that's what I've always believed. 
That would make sense. Yeah. And like, again, the little we know of her mother is that she experimented and tried to make new you know, either spells or potions, or we don't really know what she was experimenting with, but we don't ever see Luna doing that. Um, and that, that could just be out of fear because we she saw what it did to her mother and she doesn't want a repeat of that. Maybe she used to experiment on things with her mom when she was younger before, you know, tragedy hit. But if she ever did that, she definitely doesn't anymore. So I would, it does seem like she has tended more towards her father um, but as as far as how much she's like her mother, that can be nature and nurture. So it's it's hard to say. All right. So let's move into talking about who Luna became after we stopped getting to hear much about her. <laughs> um, so we know that Luna became a famous wizarding naturalist, as we discussed. Um, and... We also know that she married Rolf's commander, which is just a fun little bit of world building. I don't know that we're really going to get more on that, but I, I do love it. Yeah. Um, and had two children, twin boys, Lorcan and Lysander, which are names. <laughs> <laughs> they are that. I did not do etymologies on those. Sorry. <laughs> so I thought we should talk for a second about... um if we think the career of naturalist makes sense for an adult Luna. Yeah. I think that she, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. You know, we get a little bit of information about how she, you know, classifies new species and blah, blah, blah. I, I don't, I don't know. I feel like Luna is probably one of those people that could do any job that she decides to be passionate about and to put, her mind to personally i love i mean aside from like law or something because <laughs> she would be so frustrated any unstructured job let's put it that way yeah <laughs> um i love the scene of her with the thestrals i mm -hmm. and i don't mean the movieism scene although i love that too but when they find them in the forest and they're getting ready to go to the ministry um how she's just so comfortable with them well and even before they get into the carriages at the beginning and she's telling Harry that, yeah, I can see them too. And she's clearly not frightened of them. Um, it just, it seems very natural to me for her to just under, again, with that emotional intelligence, have an empathy that extends to animals and other creatures as well. So I think it makes a lot of sense for her to work with animals and be curious about them, especially since her dad is constantly talking about them and others that could be out there that they don't know about yet. I think going on like safari, so to speak, and trying to find new ones is something she would have been interested in from a child. So just continuing on with that, I think, is a great fit. I can't imagine her doing anything else, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I I don't disagree. I just think it's a little convenient that she does this and then she marries Rolf, who just happens to be Newt's child. But I mean, yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of little conveniences in the series. So, And that's outside well, of the series, really. That's from um, documentaries and live chats. So, yeah. And we know that... Although, yeah. yeah. 
that stuff, the, the, the talking from 10 years ago, like the chats and stuff, I believe signif- I believe significantly more than I believe any of the stuff she says now. That's just my own opinion, though. <laughs> well, so I, I think, as Katie said, that I agree. I can't really imagine Luna doing anything else. And that makes her marrying Rolf's commander feel okay to me. Like, if it had been she married him, but she was doing something else for a career, I would have been like, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's really convenient. But because I think uh, being a naturalist just makes so much sense for her character, and Rolf being a, a naturalist as well, and it just fits. And um, and that doesn't feel like too much of a, a fan service stretch to me. Yeah. The only other thing I could imagine would be her doing like being an artist because she painted this beautiful mural of her friends up on her wall Mm -hmm. and they seemed to breathe. So it's like she put this little bit of magic in them somehow. Um, So she's clearly talented in, in visual arts, but that's just not something we see much of in the wizarding world other than portrait painters, which I think would be boring to her. (laughs) 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 Well, I think it's pretty clear um, that she gets to express that side of herself in other ways, because we have this glorious quote (laughs) from the Pottermore Quidditch World Cup uh, final in 2014. And it says, nobody who witnessed it will ever forget the shock on Scamander's face when he saw Lovegood's wedding dress, rainbows, spangles, and a tiara of silver unicorn horns, voted most hideous outfit of the year by readers of my regular Daily Prophet column. <laughs> and Katie over here is sitting here like, what do you mean most hideous outfit? That sounds amazing. Yes, it does. <laughs> This is why Luna is my girl. (laughs) I love it so much. Oh, my God. Just I've never seen anybody cosplay that. I kind of want to do that now. Me either, but you definitely should. (laughs) So few people would get it, but the few who did. (laughs) Um, Well, you have to make sure you have the sash that says most hideous outfit of the year. (laughs) Like you have to have a sash with it because people will be like, what? Yeah, they'll get it. We'll get it. Well, and Luna would probably wear that with honor, like the the sash with honor. Be like, yeah, most hideous. Sure, whatever. (laughs) I like it. Yeah. Adorbs. Oh man, we love Luna. We do. It's true. Luna is one of those characters that, like, I don't know very many people who flat out don't like her. I think so many characters in the series have people who love them and hate them, and there aren't that many people who, like, hate Luna. Yeah, for a minute I was about to say, like, oh, maybe we should have brought someone on who didn't like her as just a different voice, but I can't think of anyone who's ever said they don't like Luna. How, what is there to dislike about Luna? Nothing. That's the thing. She has, she has you know, some, she has flaws, like every character, but she doesn't ever do anything that is blatantly unlikable. Mm -hmm. I don't know about that. I think that some people could interpret her character as, you know, really grating and um, off-putting. That's very different than blatantly unlikable and rude. Like, the reason a lot of people, you know, 
uh, I can't even bring Snape into this, but I feel like for me, for me, for me to not like a character, um, and that's not even true, the personality of a character, because all characters are great characters, especially in this series. For me to not enjoy the personality of a character, they have to be unreasonably angry, rude, hateful, disparaging, whatever that is. It has to be unreasonably that quality for me anyway. And I personally can't think of anything that in Luna's case is unreasonably whatever adjective you would put out there. The only way I could think of someone not liking her is if they're just, um, like if, if Luna reminds them of someone in their real life Mm. that they don't like, that could be like the only thing that I could think of. Um, because you know, cat, like all of those adjectives that you just mentioned, like I think of like umbrage or like pansy Parkinson, um, filch sometimes, (laughs) Built. Oh God, built gets on my nerves. Um, They're just like characters who are just like really like self righteous. Um, The Dursleys. Yeah, absolutely. But she's just so like gentle and kind, and brings out like the good in people and helps people see the good in the world. Um, I don't know. That's just kind of unfathomable. And nothing bad that happens in the series is her fault. Like, sometimes we have that to kind of hold over a character that we don't necessarily like or as evidence for why that person is unredeemable or whatever. But she never makes any massive mistakes that cost anyone their lives or hurt anyone. Um, She's always there to help and make things better. So Mm -hmm. that's definitely in her favor. Yep. Definitely. So so who is the anti-Luna then in the series? It depends on how you mean anti-Luna. Because, like, in one sense, it's Hermione, but... (laughs) Yeah, I think you can make an argument for Rita Skeeter as well. Hmm. Especially because of what happens with, you know, Harry being in the Quibbler. Mm -hmm. Or, like, maybe, like, Mundungus Fletcher. Yeah, she would never put up with thieving. (laughs) Too bad we don't do podcast question of the week anymore. That'd be a good one. (laughs) Well, listeners can still put it in the comments. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Who do you think is the (laughs) anti-Luna? All right. Well, I think that wraps up this wonderful episode about such a, just a wonderful character. And I wanted to thank you, Taylor, for being a fabulous guest. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Oh, thank y'all for having me. I really, really enjoyed my time here. I doubt this will be your last time on Alohomora. <laughs> I mean, it took him like Perfect. six years to get here, so. <laughs> Just giving you crap, Taylor. But it's so true, though. It is. <laughs> Thanks for bringing the Luna love. <laughs> and speaking of things that we absolutely love, guys. The next chapter, we're going to talk. We're going back to my favorite book, and I'm so excited. We're going to be talking about chapter 23 of the best Harry Potter book ever, Order of the Phoenix, Christmas on... Can't confirm. Can't confirm. That's right. See, Taylor, you're coming back next episode. Uh, Christmas on the closed word. It will be out just in time for the fabulous winter, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, holidays. So definitely 
Check it out. I almost started crying whenever I saw that that was going to be the next chapter revisit. I was like, oh, God, how depressing. I love Girl, it. We are all going to be crying talking about that <laughs> chapter again. So. Truth. It's, 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 oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, I just want to go read Order of the Phoenix right now, but I have to finish Lethal Way first. I've been reading it for legitimately two months. So. <laughs> Get on me, that. Me too. I just finished yeah. it this last week and I was just like, whew, done. Now I can get on. Did you love it? Everyone I know has loved it. So not really. Do you not do you not like her Robert Galbraith stuff? I don't know that I dislike it. It's just not really my thing. So I don't get gung ho about it, but I've read all of them. So I guess Mm -hmm. that says something. If I hated them, I I wouldn't bother. But this was just too convoluted and the, the payoff wasn't good enough for me this time. I don't know. Maybe. All right. Well, that's TBD. I'll get back to you. I'll let you know what I think. Okay. <laughs> I would. I would appreciate that. But if you would like to be on this show to talk about Potter, you can go to our topic submit page on AlohomoraPodcast.com and choose the topic that you would like to talk about, whether it be Christmas on the closed ward or something else. Um, and on that other page that's the be on the show page sorry on the topic submit page you can suggest your own topic or chapter that you would like us to talk about and all you need is a computer set of headphones and a microphone and you're all set we will walk you through um being a guest if you are chosen to be on with us oh and in the meantime you can keep up with us (laughs) on twitter at alohomoramn facebook.com backslash open the double door our website, as Katie just said, alohomorapodcast.com. You can find us on YouTube where there's all sorts of really fun stuff. Uh, YouTube.com backslash alohomora. And, and our email is alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. I have not received a limerick in quite some time. So <laughs> get on that. That would be a really nice holiday gift for me if anybody feels so inclined. Or if you don't hate me for not liking Sirius <laughs> or for calling Luna judgmental. Um, yeah, that would be super cool. Um, I will also accept haikus. So nice. Just saying. Mm-hmm. You had a limerick not that long ago on the main site. That is true. We did read it. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Then I would like a jig. Somebody send a video wow. of themselves jigging. Or a haiku. One or the other. What about a sea shanty? Yeah, totally. I will accept it. Um, I'll, That's however, very open-minded about about the poems that she wants. Yes, although if you do a sea shanty, I will have to insist that you will be dressed like a kelpie or a pirate. <laughs> the choice is yours, listeners. The choice is yours. <laughs> All right, and I just want to give one more reminder to go and check out our Patreon. Thank you again to Brian Stisher for supporting us. You are so awesome and we could not do this show without all of our lovely supporters just like Brian. So thank you. And uh, if you want to head on over to patreon.com slash alohomora, you can sponsor us for as low as $1 a month. And we've been putting up some really fun bonus content lately. So you should definitely go and check that out. Uh, Michael has started his Let's Play, which I watched the other day at the gym. And it's so much fun. And I can't wait for more. Um, we also recently put up uh, Allison and I read our fan fiction, which was incredibly embarrassing, and uh, (laughs) 
you should all highly enjoy that. Um, and, uh, I think some bonus content from our Cursed Child episode should be coming on Patreon as well. So head on over to Patreon to get all of those perks and more. But for now, thank you so much for listening. I'm Katie Carty Hiley. I'm Beth Warsaw. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to episode 260 of Alohomore. Come on, guys, let's go. I'm going to open the Dumbledore. I'm Beth Warsaw. What? <laughs> oh, we usually do more in there, don't we? Yeah. Tiny bit. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm so tired. Uh, all right, we'll get through this. But this this is definitely going to be a Luna of an episode. Oh, my God. Okay. Guys, Ivana didn't win Dancing with the Stars. I think it was rigged. Oh. <laughs> It was definitely rigged. Yeah. Oh, poor girl. She was raw. The, the voting was really strange this season, but she did amazing. She grew so much, and she is a beautiful dancer. So congratulations, anyway. I think what's great about it is that, like, <clears throat> even if she weren't a household name amongst just Harry Potter fans before, now she is even more of a household um, name with fans of that show. So I think that's really great. And she'll always be a winner in our hearts. <laughs> Darn right. <sighs>